Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 58 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Jordan Furlong about how lawyers can position themselves to succeed during the next five to 10 years. This podcast is brought to you by Amicus Attorney, developers of legal practice management software. Let Amicus help you run your practice so you can focus on what you do best, practice law. Visit amicusattorney.com slash lawyerist and get started today. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Clio. Lawyers, it's time to let your mind do what it was trained to do. Practice law. You need Clio, the leading legal practice management software to take care of the business side of running your practice. Find out more and sign up for a free trial at Clio.com. If you enjoy the show, please visit Lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on the red button that says support the podcast. That will help us keep new episodes coming every week. So two episodes ago in episode 56, you had a long chat with Matt Homan about his new model for doing uh, legal conferences and business meetings at his space in St. Louis called Filament. And you and I just went there yesterday to check it out. Yeah, it's, um, it's really neat to see sort of the, um, the physical expression of all of the thinking Matt has done over the years about meetings and conferences and stuff. And it's, it's, an, it's a pretty impressive space. Yeah, it sounds like they've been open for two or three weeks, he said, and have already done a few events and have a lot in the hopper. And I think it's going to be a really great prototype for interesting things to come around the country. Yeah, so um, it was really fun to check it out and see what Matt was working on. And um, I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So now here's my conversation with Jordan. Hi, I'm Jordan Furlong. I'm a consultant, author, and legal market analyst. I write about and speak about uh, changes in the legal market, what kind of impact they're having on clients, kind of impact they're having on lawyers and law firms, and and the the legal profession generally. I'm based in Ottawa, Canada, and happy to be here. (laughs) I'm happy that you're here too. Thanks for coming on the show, Jordan. My pleasure. So today I wanted to talk about kind of what's in your wheelhouse, um, I think. I mean, I know you talk more about um, big firms and, and, and big trends and, and what's happening in the legal market at large, but I wanted to do a little bit of, um, I hate, you know, fortune telling, future casting, whatever, but, I, you know, the next five to ten years really aren't that much of a mystery, right? We kind of know what's coming down the pike. Yeah. I think I think that's true. I mean, and we can see a lot of the trends forming, whether it's in uh, corporate uh, law or what I call consumer law. You know, individuals and small businesses and so forth, and and all and the trends and the forces that are that are pushing us in that direction are pretty much the same. We are seeing um, obviously continuing uh, economic and financial difficulties for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. Uh, we are looking at just really remarkable advances in technology. We're seeing the, uh, the growing vulnerabilities on the part of the legal profession to be able to to maintain the barriers to entry in the in the legal market that we've had for for a long time, and and we've just seen uh, an unusually resilient uh, league of new players entering the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's remarkable how you know ten years ago people would have said, oh, you know, they you know 
LegalZoom won't be around for very long. You know, they're they're terrible quality. They're going to fall away. And yet here they still are. And here here are all these these different moving parts in in the market. And and I think that's uh, I think that's probably going to certainly for the next five years. Uh, I, I think those kind of trends are going to continue, probably accelerate in all likelihood. It it's always struck me that um, when when the market crashed in in what two thousand eight ish, it seemed like the one trend that really is driving all the other trends is that at at all levels clients stopped being willing to pay the rates that lawyers had been wanting to charge. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. And and a lot of it really ties back to, it, it, it was kind of a one-two punch. The first was, I think, a simple inability, right? Mm-hmm. It really was, you know, there's a roof over our head, there's food on the table, and that's it, right? That's pretty much all that a lot of us have anymore. Or or you're close enough to the edge that you're 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 thinking, unless I absolutely have to lay out money for this, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, and, and so I think first it was an inability to pay, and then I think that kind of hardened into the second part of it, which was an unwillingness. It was like, you know, I, I just don't see the value to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's... Or, that or maybe uh, one way or another, I'd been getting these services for the last couple of years at a reduced rate, and I'm just going to want to go ahead and keep paying that. Well, this is it. This is the killer of discounts. You know, whenever whenever a lawyer offers a discount on, on his or her billable rate or, or their fee, and, and I always say to them, and do you think they're gonna, your clients are gonna go back to the regular rate <laughs> afterwards, having gotten from you the first time? Right. right. You know, lost leaders are lost continuers, and 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 that's, and and it's it's standard in every market, and and we're kind of realizing that in the law now as well. I think it's absolutely true. And so that I mean, the bottom line is, if you want to make money in in uh, going forward, you've kind of got to be able to do more with less. I, I think that's true, and I think that's why there's a lot of interest. And again, I, I see this both on the on the on the corporate and the consumer side in ways in which we can reduce the cost of doing business, but you have to do it in, in, a, in, in a sustainable and intelligent fashion, right? right. Uh, as, as opposed to, you know, any number of, you, know, you can throw a stone on Wall Street and hit a law firm, uh, or in any major city, uh, a big firm that says, oh, let's cut, let's cut more people, let's fire more secretaries, let's, you know, or I was just reading uh, a piece of American Lawyer today about how uh, contract lawyer salaries are, uh, continue to drop year over year. Uh, well below the rates that uh, that any self-respecting firm would ever have considered paying associates uh, for their work. Um, so that's been uh, that's that's been a big part of it. But uh, but again, it, it it gets back to this whole idea of what is the market actually willing to pay, and how much you would like to make as a lawyer, or how much it costs you to run your business as a lawyer. And I'm not saying those aren't important; they're just not relevant to the conversation as much as they were. It comes down to what is the market willing to give you? And you're going to have to work within those parameters. So one of the things that um, I, I sort of keep running into is um, I talk to lawyers who have strong, uh, you know, good old referral networks, um, word of mouth referral networks. Their clients really aren't grousing about fees very much. Um, they're still bringing in business and they're, and they're not really seeing all of this changed legal market stuff that we're talking about. And these are obviously mostly solo and small firm lawyers, um, maybe in areas like family law or um, criminal defense. And um, they're kind of like, what are you guys talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it brings to mind the old line attributed to William Gibson, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that... And That's not his area, line, by the way. 
I know it's always attributed <laughs> to him, but uh, I think I think he's kind of given up tr- protesting now. He I just says, "Yeah, right. yeah, that was me." I, I, I said all of Vonnegut's lines too, <laughs> and um, but yeah, but I, I think that's that's very that's very true, and especially I mean, criminal defense law uh, has always been. Uh, I think immune to a lot of these trends for a bunch of reasons. Uh, but I think the biggest one is simply that if you are the purchaser of criminal law defense services, you really don't have a choice, mm-hmm. you know, in in the matter. Um, but it's not that much different from family law. I mean, you, you the the prospect of trying to enter the labyrinth of family uh, family court and 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 custody, divorce, and access, and all these things is just so uh, overwhelming to a lot of people that they say, I still I at least have to try and start with a lawyer, right? And and a lot of family law, I mean, we talk about now about the epidemic level of self-representation in family courts. Well, that's is, what I was hoping you were going to get at, because yeah. I, I remember reading um, an essay that you put in one of these ABA books, um, and, and you were talking, you pointed out that there are a couple of different ways to look at the huge numbers of self-represented litigants in family court. One is maybe they can't afford a lawyer, and the other is, maybe they don't need a lawyer. Well, and, and that's what a lot of them are, are, are starting to, at least that's what they want, to, they, they would like to get to that point, right? And and what, what I said was, you know what, we've been talking about this now, I, I used to edit a magazine uh, for, for the Bar Association up here in Canada, and back in 2007, we did a cover story on self-representation in family courts. That was coming up on nine years ago. Mm-hmm. We're still talking about it, it's still increasing, so what we have seen, if nothing else, is that not only are people willing to represent themselves in family law, they're still doing it, and it's growing. So if it, it is, it's one of those situations where we can't simply say, oh, they'll see how difficult it is, and then they'll come back and hire us. They know how difficult it is, but they're still sticking with it. They're still uh, pushing ahead. You know, we, um, we sort of talk about... Um at Lawyerist, the the writers, we we have a chat room where we're always kind of talking about the difference between access to justice and access to lawyers. Mm. And and the one is not equal to the other. Um, But lawyers often think, well, we can solve, there's not justice happening there. And there will be if we get all those people to lawyers. But, um, you know, the courts aren't really necessarily a huge source of innovation. But this is a this is a problem that the courts are trying to solve, and they're not necessarily trying to solve it by getting lawyers in touch with all of those people who are litigating in family court on their own. I, I think that's such an important point. Um, and, and something to keep in mind when we look at organizations uh, such as some of the state bars that help to scuttle the ABA's agreement with Rocket Lawyer uh, and some of the courts that, uh, that have a, a regulatory Role is yeah. You're, they're interested. Talk about access to justice. What they're what the the business they're actually in though is access to a lawyer, right? That's that's what, what the lawyers are trying to do. Yeah, exactly. To say, well, you know, it, the point the point is not for you to get a solution. The point is for you to come to me, and I will guide you that way. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the the biggest uh, I think mental block we have to overcome as lawyers is that we are no longer the only path forward to an outcome that is satisfactory to clients in the legal sphere. We talk about access to justice or access to a lawyer. We ought to be talking about access to solutions, access to outcomes, right? Look at it from the buyer's point of view or the client's point of view. What do they actually need? And if what they need doesn't require a lawyer, why are we making them go through a lawyer to get it? Right. That that that's an existential question for the justice system right now and for the legal profession. And I would like to see us answer it in a in a, a less self 
self-serving fashion we've been doing so far, but we don't seem to be quite there yet. Well, I, I suppose when you, uh, when, when you have a bunch of lawyers who actually feel like their businesses are being threatened, then, um, then the big language that we use to talk about justice runs up against the small language above, you know, keeping my own practice afloat and, um, the latter tends to win, I guess. Well, absolutely. And, and again, it's not that I don't, you know, I, I can appreciate and understand, uh, lawyers who, who have this, this apprehension and even anxiety, um, about their own practices. But, you know, circling the wagons has, it didn't do the pioneers any good. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know, um, it, it's never been a good solution. You know, what I, one of the things I think is interesting is so, um, so we're going to be, com- lawyers are going to be competing with non-lawyers. And one of the first groups of non-lawyers that lawyers are going to be competing with, um, at least one of the first official groups are these um, triple LTs or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I can't even remember what all the L's stand for. Um, <laughs> yeah. But these are essentially licensed paralegals who are licensed to give direct legal services. And mm-hmm. um, that's a that's another conversation we've been having a lot on our end is how how is the overhead to run a business as a triple LT actually much cheaper than running a law practice so that they will be able to deliver lower cost legal services. I can't really get my head around that because most of them have to maintain malpractice insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have some education loans, although maybe not quite on the scale of a lawyer. But let's face it, once you're, once you're actually practicing, your, your student loans shouldn't really be much of a part of your overhead. Um, I, it's hard for me to, to, to figure out how they're going to be able to practice so much more cheaply that they'll be able to deliver services much more cheaply and then compete, which which is not to say that they shouldn't be able to. I just kind of don't get yeah. how it's going to solve the problem. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a real issue and a real challenge. And the LLLTs are a perfect example of that. If you actually go to the enabling, well, not legislation, but the if you, if you go into the, 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 the regulatory structure of LLLTs, if you look at what is required in terms of training and preparation and experience for the LLLTs, it's an incredibly high standard. I mean, the, the people who actually make it all the way through there are, are heroes as far as I'm concerned <laughs> because, because they, you know, and, and, and the problem from my point of view is, is what we're, what we're doing. And we, we have something similar here with paralegals here in Ontario. Uh, and, and we'll probably see it in other jurisdictions as well. Lawyers, uh, what, what we're essentially saying is, sure, we can have all these paraprofessionals and LLTs and so forth. By all means, provide low cost legal services. But but we want you to be almost exactly like us. You have to meet our standards of training and and insurance and and this and that and the other thing, and and you end up saying, well, all you're basically doing is just creating another set of lawyers by a different name, uh, ex- except working at a substantial brand disadvantage. I think that's right. You know, and and I think that's. Uh, I mean, I I I I applaud what the State Bar of Washington did and the Washington Supreme Court did. I think it was tremendous. Took a tremendous amount of hard work and courage for them to do that, um, and I think that though they would probably also agree, this is the start of the process, uh, not the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I also strongly suspect that you know all the goodwill in the world from state bars and from courts is only going to take us so far. I, I it's one of my favorite sayings is revolutions don't tend to start inside the castle, <laughs> and, and you know, and I think what we're going to see is we're going to see options and solutions and choices again these are buyer these are these these are buyer based terms these are purchaser based terms we're going to see options and choices emerge and they're not going to be regulated they're going to be outside the regulatory sphere and they're going to work right legal zoom again go back to our well, that, there yeah that's what i was going to get at next is i i think that's the other end of it you've got people 
um, battering on the door. And, and it's hard for me to imagine that estate planning, um, small business, you know, any, any of those real forms-based practices are going to be a viable business model in five to 10 years. Uh, maybe counseling, you know, and business advice and business consulting, um, but actually selling those forms, I just, I can't see how anybody can do that. I think it's absolutely right, and 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 if and if you are running a forms-based practice, as you say, if you're running a practice that is largely clerical or transactional or process-based, then I don't think, it, I, honestly, I don't think it matters what kind of law you practice or where you practice it. Your your practice has a very short shelf life remaining because yes, this stuff is going to get automated and commoditized. It already is, right? You know, it, it's it's already happening. So, so what's going to end up happening to lawyers in this situation, if I were in that situation as a lawyer, I would be looking very hard at what I do and say, what's the real value that I provide to my clients? What can they get from me that they can't get, ideally, from any other lawyer, but if not, they can't get from one of these other providers? And, and to go back to what you said, we're talking about counsel and empathy, and uh, you know, if I can go so far as to say, wisdom, good advice. You know, we we all know of, and some of us have been fortunate enough to actually experience relationships with lawyers where the clients say, you know, he or she, they're just a lifesaver. They got me through such a difficult time, and you know, and 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 and, and they were they were invaluable. They were priceless. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I think that's where we're going to have to reorient ourselves. I I wasn't around in the 1930s or 40s, but I had a suspicion that a lot of a lawyer's daily work and a lot of a, law- a lot of a lawyer's value probably resided as much in those sorts of functions and that kind of value than it did in, in anything else. I think we I think we just developed some bad habits over the last several decades and I think we're having those habits we're being disabused of them, shall we say. Yeah, Smart. you know, I often say, I, I think I'm perfectly capable of drywalling my own basement, but that doesn't mean I want to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But just because I go and hire a contractor, that doesn't mean I think I should have to play, pay more for the plasterboard. Yeah. Um, and and I, think, yeah, I think that you nailed it with lawyers need to talk about what they're selling differently. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can sell the form itself for any more than LegalZoom does, no. but you can probably start selling the add-on services and... And and obviously, LegalZoom recognizes this. They're partnering up with thousands of lawyers in order to do just that. That's exactly right. And 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 Rocket Lawyer again had the same idea. They went to the ABA. They went to the largest lawyer association in the world and said, "Let's work together." You know, it's, that's the one thing I think anybody from either of those organizations will tell you. The first thing is, we are not here to put lawyers out of business. We want them to get more business, just on different you know, terms. We can grow our work together. Right. I mean, they're 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 kind of changing the terms on which law- they want lawyers to have business. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 they have they have a fairly substantial and growing amount of influence in in that role. Um, I mean, and, and again, one of the difficult things for lawyers. Again, we're talking in very broad strokes here about the entire profession. But one of the difficult things for lawyers, I think, has been experiencing this loss of control, uh, this loss of an assumption that things that have always been this way and a market in which we have always held uh, pretty much all the cards or all the cards that mattered, it's, it's coming to an end. And, and, and to return to this idea of lawyers, I get that. I guess I really do that lawyers are anxious about this. Um, but the message I keep bringing back whenever I'm talking to lawyers, and I do this extensively, is first accept, just accept the way things are. You know, it's, 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 it's one of the first steps in the, in, in the process. Um, recognize what's going on, 
accept it and put a bit more probably than normally do deal with it as best you can. But once you've done that, now start adapting. Mm-hmm. You know, again, to go back to the question of the LLTs, we're not at the end of the process. We're at the beginning. What comes next? That's the question every lawyer, every law firm should ask themselves in a market like this. What comes next? Well, and let me take two minutes from our sponsors, and then we'll try and answer that question. These days, law firms need to do more with less. Making this happen requires efficient, cost-effective tools that work the way you do. Available as a desktop or cloud solution, Amicus Attorney Practice Management software improves the organization of your firm and drives your bottom line. Visit amicusattorney.com slash lawyerist to discover how you can join the thousands of lawyers who rely on Amicus every day to run their practices. From matter management, time and billing, document management, to specific calendaring and contacts, take control of your practice with Amicus Attorney. Today, we journey to the center of a lawyer's mind. This is Jeff. I'm stepping into his brain now. Jeff's brain is working on the case of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's distracted with scheduling issues, documents, and timesheets. We need to act fast. I'm giving Jeff Clio, the cloud-based system that manages a lawyer's day-to-day operations. Clio handles your cases, billing, appointments, accounting, everything you need to run your practice. There, that's better. With Clio, Jeff's brain can focus on what Jeff does best. Get the law practice manager more lawyers trust. Sign up for a free trial at clio.com slash lawyer or call 844-500-CLIO. That's 844-500-CLIO. And, okay, so you said what comes next. So let me sum up where we are right now. Um, We, uh, lawyers within the next, I think, probably two or three years in many states, lawyers are going to start competing for business with non-lawyer providers like triple LTs, whatever they end up being called in each state. Um, and and forms providers like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer are going to continue nibbling away at the edges and eating away at forms-based practices um, and making it harder to sell simple forms like wills and trusts, um, small business documents, that kind of thing. It seems to me that one of the most transformative things that hasn't yet happened though, is non-lawyer ownership, mm-hmm. which could really, and, and that really gets talked about in, in, at scale. Um, and that, I think that's why Richard Susskind thinks that solo and small firms don't have much of a future because we're just going to get Walmarted out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's true. I can, um, but, I, but I think that um, even, in, even in the solo and small local firm um, context, I think the ability for an accountant and a lawyer to partner up or a a criminal defense attorney and a bail bondsman to partner up, I don't even know, um, provides, have some pretty interesting possibilities and mm. could really change stuff. But I'm not sure it feels like that's five years away to me. It's, uh, it's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I think there's two possible routes forward towards non-lawyer ownership of firms or investment of firms, uh, or, or even, you know, and, and, and what that really amounts to, as you say, is, is a very uh, healthy and active multidisciplinary practice or partnership uh, world. So, so one way in which we'll we'll see our way forward is that some some jurisdiction, some state, will essentially say, 
you know what? We want to be the Delaware of legal incorporations, right? We want to be the state that goes first, and we're and for whatever reason, because we want to create a competitive advantage or what have you. But there, there will be a state where the Supreme Court and or the bar get together and say, this is something we intentionally want to do. Uh, it's a wrenching, uh, difficult uh, thing to do, and it's something you can. I think would only happen if all the stars align. And even then, I think it would be tremendous resistance from within a bar. So I think, but, but I think that's the likeliest scenario, because again, if we're waiting for, if we're waiting for, you know, LLLTs state by state, we'll be here, you know, a hundred years from now, you know, waiting for real progress. Mm-hmm. The second way which it will happen, I think, is essentially an antitrust or constitutional challenge. Um, I, I, every, everybody who is interested in the legal market, who is not a lawyer or a law firm, uh, has a copy at home of the uh, Supreme Court of the United States decision in the North Carolina Board of Dental Examiners case. Right. Right, which is a whole question of uh, essentially well, to what extent can the regulators of a profession prohibit people who are not members of that regulated group from engaging in practices related to it. And, uh, it, you know, obviously much has happened with the Supreme Court recently. Yeah. Um, and, and who knows what the, the next uh, 9 to 12 months will bring. But to my mind, I mean, having looked at that decision and knowing the way in which legal services are regulated in a virtually monopolistic manner uh, by the primary providers, I don't have any real doubt that a challenge to those provisions would be successful if it got to the Supreme Court. Um, I, I, you know, would it have been the case 10 or 15 years ago? Probably not, but it's a different world. It did seem to open the door. Yeah, I think it really has opened the door. And I think, honestly, if I had to, if I had to guess which of those routes will bring non-lawyer ownership and, and just a complete, uh, perhaps evisceration is too strong a word, but a, a, a complete overhaul of the way in which legal services are, uh, regulated and provided, I think it's going to come through uh, a court challenge. If you look at the history of uh, of legal innovation uh, in the United States, and Canada's not a whole lot different, but if you look at the, the history of innovation in the U.S., it, a lot of it has come through the courts, right? You know, Bateson versus Arizona and, and, and the like. I mean, this is, in a lot of, sometimes we just have to simply say a court, we have to let a court stand up and say, nah you know, yeah. this cannot stand. We're going to change the way we, we go about this. So, so let's say I am one of those firms I've, I've mentioned, which is um, got a strong referral network. Um, I'm not seeing much impact on my pipeline of new clients or on my existing clients. Nobody's really complaining about my fees. Nobody's running away. I'm still making comfortably well into, you know, six figures, um, going on my vacations to Bermuda every year. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm worried. Um, mm-hmm. I've got more than more than 10 years left in my practice. And yeah. um, how how should I and, and let's you know, maybe I do small business work, um, a little estate planning on the side. Um, how do I how do I make sure that I position myself so that I'm not blindsided when the cumulative effect of some of these things starts to hit? Yeah, and, and a really good point. The way I sometimes describe it, I'm talking to lawyers who, who have some skepticism about this or, or who say, I'm not seeing it, you know, uh, is I, I sometimes draw the comparison to climate change, right? Um, you know, proponents of, of, uh, of climate change, which is, you know, most of us, um, uh, of, of the reality of it, um, will sometimes say to opponents, okay, hey, let's suppose just for a moment, okay, that we're completely wrong, right? Mm-hmm. We have gotten all the science wrong and everything else. The world is not getting any warmer, uh, blah, blah, blah. None of these horrible things are going to happen. Okay. But even if that is true, 
what is wrong with reducing pollution and be using more uh, energy sensible uh, fuel sources and conserving more and and not ruining the environment around what's what's so wrong with that you know <laughs> right and 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 it's it's a similar kind of thing here i mean even what's if, wrong if, with better giving better client service and more value and yeah, yeah exactly i mean one of one of two things is going to happen either all the stuff that you and i and other people and and richard are talking about either it's going to happen or it's not okay if it doesn't happen hallelujah you know as far as the legal profession is concerned smooth sailing let's let's you know go on to a bright golden future um but in that bright golden future you have cleaned up your operations you have reduced inefficiencies and waste and redundancies in the way in which you go about your work you're not reinventing the wheel every single day you're using computers and software to do the things they should be doing like setting up an extensive conflict checking system and making sure you never miss a filing deadline again and staying in touch with old clients and checking on them every six months automatically by email and all these wonderful things you can do to sustain and improve your practice and make you more competitive that you can essentially turn over to a smart machine, right? And Essentially, and it's, again, ti- it's time to do sort of a top-down review of your practice yeah. and, and look, for, look for things that are... Um, that you're doing repetitively that are, that are waste anything you're doing repetitively is wasteful mm-hmm. um, looking for ways that you can automate looking for cruft that's built up especially in the form of expenses things like mm-hmm. that it sounds like yeah. is what you're talking about exactly right and that and that's just that's just doing nothing else except change the way you go you do business right and then you go to the whole question of distinctiveness right how am i standing out in my market i mean really standing out um, I ask law firms a couple of questions. I say, if you disappeared tomorrow, if your firm was swallowed up by the earth, what would what would what would what would the market miss? Mm-hmm. Right? What would be different? Could 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 the people who previously got business and, and services from you could they get them somewhere else that were in a pretty much identical fashion? And ninety nine percent of the time, the answer is yes. No no insult to lawyers, but that's just the nature of of what we do, and 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 the extent to which really good legal service is widely available. So again, the, the the way that you turn this around and look at it from the perspective of of a lawyer saying, well, um, how can I find ways to truly stand out? Well, how do you stand out in the market? You find things that matter to the people who actually lay down the money, and you say, what's what's valuable to you? And and if you ask lawyers that question, it's funny. Look at the surveys. You ask lawyers what the clients care most about, and almost always, if they care about uh, the, they, they want the, the, the outcome they asked for, uh, they want it as a little cost as possible, um, and, uh, and, and they, want, they want the right answer and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and you talk to clients about it and they say, well, yeah, we'd rather not spend a ton of money, and yes, we would like to get what we asked for from the lawyer, but we also like to be treated well. We would like to be kept in touch, keep us in the loop. Um, be realistic, set expectations for us, don't surprise us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it would be, I think, not one in a hundred lawyers uh, out there competes on the basis of client service, competes on the basis of client value to say, you will get a different and better experience from me than you'll get from anyone else in this town. Well, lots of lawyers say that. Yeah, lots of lawyers say it, but, (laughs) you know, but if they actually... You know, survey their clients about this, or had someone survey them for them, and and ask, you know, are you really distinctive? Are you outstanding? Are right. you the best? And um, you know, in in terms of how you deal with people, how you deal with your clients, and how you make them feel, and that's not our strong point. Lawyers, as you know, we rate 
very low in sociability, uh, very high in skepticism, very high, very low in resilience, all these things. We are not necessarily uh, the most convivial people in the world when it comes to professional service. But, and this is, I think is really important, it, you know, when I, when I had John Saw on from LegalZoom, um, he pointed out that it's, it's far from impossible for lawyers to really up their game there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, using net promoter score as an example, mm-hmm. um, you know, most lawyers are barely positive on the net promoter score scale, whereas LegalZoom's partner lawyers, the firms that they work with, are, are above, you know, 60 and 70. Um, so, you know, if you, if you do dig in and start looking for ways to improve your client service model, you can find a lot of things that will make huge differences and pay big dividends. Yeah, that's really true. Uh, you know, and again, another good, another good thing to do as a, as a lawyer, look who's coming into your market, right? Who's, who seems to be making the most impact or who's, you know, who's new and why are they new and what are they doing differently? How have they gotten the attention of the market? What's their different value proposition? Um, you know, I, I hate to use a difficult example of this, but, you know, you, you look at some candidates right now in the elections who are clearly appealing to a whole different set of <laughs> values and interests than the traditional suppliers have put out there in front of them. Um, now, good or bad, um, that's, that's a phenomenon worth thinking about. Um, you, you really need to take the time to go directly to your markets, directly to the people that you're serving and that you want to serve. You know, I keep hammering on this point, but to say, what are you really looking for? And what is really going to give you peace of mind and satisfaction at the end of this process? Um, and, and again, if nothing changes in the market, all you've done is become, you've become a more effective, efficient, productive, friendly, and an accessible lawyer. And if everything does change, then you've got the keys to get yourself out of prison because that's what it's going to take to compete in a market like this. I think that's um, excellent, wise advice. Um, Jordan just finished working on a, uh, a guide for targeted towards new lawyers, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in there for all lawyers that's available from the Canadian Bar Association. Um, can people get that? You know what? The moment uh, the, the CBA is uh, treating this as a member-only um, uh, report, uh, it's called "Do the Law Differently." It's pretty substantial; it runs about eighty pages. Um, we will see whether that might come more widely available, perhaps also to American audiences in the future. Um, but well, if not that, then what would you recommend people read? Wow! Of okay. yours, where uh, would you like people to start? They should read The Lawyerist. Lawyerist is a great book, <laughs> um, and they should spend a lot of time there. Um, and, and there actually are a tremendous number of, of, of blogs out there and, and, and legal sources. I mean, here in Canada, we have Slaw, which has a lot of uh, great content for lawyers no matter where, where you're located. Um, but you do a lot uh, of writing. Where, where should people begin um, in all of the, the writing that you've done? Uh, best place to find where I'm writing is, uh, is my website, law21.ca. Um, I tried to get .com. It's owned by some Korean company. Gotcha. So lot21.ca. <laughs> um, it's actually funny. You should you should mention we're about a month or two away from uh, a relaunch and a revamp uh, with a whole b- bunch of new content. But that's where you'll find. I wrote about. Uh, I did a word count. It's something like half a million words there. So oh. and and some of them are pretty decent. So <laughs> just just but just by trial and error, some of them got to be okay. Uh, and that's where you can find uh, what I read about. And you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Jordan underscore law 21. Well, uh, we will include those links in the show notes. And 
Um, if you want thoughtful analysis and consideration of what the future might hold for lawyers, big and small, um, check those out. Thanks so much for being with us today, Jordan. I really appreciated our conversation. Thank you very much, Sam. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.